0: You are listening to Rocks Across the Pond, and I am your host today, Jonathan Havercroft, live from Southampton, England. And joining me, as always, is the, the uh, what am I going to call you? I'll call you Ryan Runback-McGee from Richmond, Virginia. Ryan, how's it going today?
1: You know for a fact that you can't play runbacks on arena ice, Jonathan. I'm not on, on on American arena ice. <laughs> I think what, you did well pretty else, good. I think you I'm did pretty to think good. Of
0: a, I was trying to think of an M curling term, and I was drawing a blank, so I just I just bailed to run back, Ryan.
1: Cool. I knew, no, you did good, man. That was good.
0: All right, I'm proud I of got you. Future and radio you, is what you're saying.
1: You're uh, you're you're spreading your wings and you've you've left the nest. <laughs> I think you did pretty so, solid.
0: So I'm hosting today for a few reasons. Well, reason number one, reason number one is if you understand how time zones work, I am asleep when most finals happen. So I was asleep when the Scotties happened. So Scotties final happened. I did see the tiebreaker and the. Semifinal yesterday, but since you saw the whole shebang, figured we'd ask you um, what you thought of it.
1: So you have aired because I missed the first three ins because I was watching the ACC Wrestling Championships, watching uh, Virginia Tech try to capture another ACC Wrestling crown.
0: I'm I'm disappointed in your lack of dedication to the podcast, Ryan. <laughs> I I saw, I, saw, I saw the I saw the important parts of the game. All right. So how, how did it go? I saw the I saw the highlights. I saw the line scores. I honestly pieced it together by scrolling through Devin Haro's um Twitter feed this morning, which is actually the best way to replay the game, I got to say.
1: Yeah, it is pretty but good. Was,
0: <laughs> but what were what were your impressions of the of the final?
1: I thought Anderson was in control for most of the game, even when she went down two to one there after the second in, or even really after getting forced there in the third to have it be tied at two with Homan having hammer in even ends. I mean, there was never really a point in the game where I thought Anderson was in trouble. Um and then they they figured out the ice, and Team Homan didn't there at the end. And that's kind of that was kind of the story. Team Anderson had a <laughs> had a questionable shot selection at the end of the ninth, and that's what allowed it to be tied going into 10 with Anderson having hammer. But there really wasn't a point in the game where I thought that they were in trouble. The only thing that I thought could happen would be, if Homan was able to junk it up and force Anderson to draw in, draw down a questionable path with the last shot in 10. I thought that was really the only the only chance that they had, but really, really impressive performance all week by Team Canada and Carrie Anderson, and a very, very deserving champion.
0: And I think I was happy... For them, because they were deprived of the opportunity to go to Worlds, Mm -hmm. and then the other kind of story that broke—I guess it's not official, but it kind of broke. I don't know, but basically, they're gonna—it sounds like they're gonna run the women's Worlds in May in the bubble, and so Team Anderson will get to go represent Canada, and which they were deprived of last year. So that's kind of a a happy moment there for them.
1: Well, it may or may not be called the the world championship but yeah i think uh rachel homan kind of kind of broke that when she said rachel homan after the game said during her press conference said something about uh looking forward to cheering for team anerson in may and i don't know if she knows something that we don't but i haven't heard anything like that i've heard that they could possibly be looking at doing something in late summer, early fall, but I have not heard may that was the first last night was the first that I'd heard of that. Um, I would not be surprised if they did do something in Calgary in May, if it was called something other than a world championship.
0: So why do you think it won't be called the world championship?
1: Contracts. Cause they, they canceled the world championship in Switzerland and a lot of times in those contracts, in order to, in order to, for insurance purposes, in order to enact your act of God clause, which a pandemic kind of fall may or may not, depending on which insurance agent you have, may or may not fall um, into that. You're also breaking the contract that you had with the host there in Switzerland if you cancel it and then run the World Championship in Canada. A couple months later so i would look i would look for it to be called something other than a world championship if if they do run it in calgary in may all
0: right so it's it's kind of confusing uh i i'm just going off twitter which is obviously the most accurate website on the planet so (laughs) 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 so it's a lock for sure um all right I mean it's good to see they they won. What do we think this means for um the sport in general, especially Canadian women's curling? So is is Einerson now the best team in Canada? Probably cuz they've won two years yeah. in a row.
1: I mean they won two are, they won two straight. They've won the last two tournaments that have been run. So yes.
0: <laughs> are they now the favorites for the trials?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Especially if there's no real major event between now and then, and there's no real, like, well, well, there's going to be two, there's going to be two grand slams. I take that back. There's going to be at least two grand slams uh, in Calgary, assuming that nothing unforeseen happens between now and then. And then they'll have worlds, but that won't be. That won't be against other Canadian teams. Their only chance to really measure themselves against the opposition that they're going to face at the trials will be at those two Grand Slams. So, I mean, yeah, they have to be they have to be the favorite, unless just unless they show up to those two Grand Slams and go over. But at that point, I mean, they've got a Scottie's under their belt. So, yeah, who knows?
0: You'd have to think that the other contenders basically made the tiebreakers on up, right? So, uh, you know, Homan <laughs> Holman being eight months pregnant um, and still playing as well as she did. Uh, and also, as I think as they point out in the press conference several times, this was the first event for that lineup. Like, this mm-hmm. is the first time playing with Sarah Wilkes. This is the first time with Joanne Courtney playing lead. Mm-hmm. So, even if Einerson's the favorite, um, Homan did a pretty good job taking them down to last rock with... With a lot of, I don't want to say excuses, but with a lot of things that, that might be kind of, might not let them play their best, if we put it that way.
1: Yeah, if, if Anderson's 1A, Holman is definitely 1B. I, I think it'll be one of those two teams representing Canada at the Olympics. And if you're, if you're a current team playing out of Ontario, you are definitely rooting for that to be the final. Because if if that's the final, then you know that you're uh, you're not going to have Rachel Holman at Ontario play-downs.
0: So, do you think the three straight final losses? So Holman's lost the last three Scotties finals. Do you think that means anything? Is this kind of cause no. for concern?
1: No, she was pregnant for two of them. The other one misdraws down the down the stretch against Carey. Very, I mean, that was the most uncharacteristic loss probably of Rachel Homan's career was that loss against uh, against Chelsea Carey, both in the way that she chose uh, to call the game and the and and execution wise. Um, So I think you can kind of throw that result out as well. So I, I really don't think it means anything. I do think, I mean right now just based off of the way they're playing, I would put Anderson's team just ahead of them, but no, three straight losses in three straight finals didn't mean anything because she's won three.
0: Yeah, she's won three. She's won three. She's lost her last three, um, but they're still <laughs> they're still kind of right up there in the in in Canadian women's curling for sure and international curling too. So the other the other three, te- I think there's basically three other teams that if they ended up winning the Canadian Olympic trials, I wouldn't be surprised. And two of them made uh, the playoffs. So the other one's Laura Walker, who it's hard to, like they're a team that like when they had, they had kind of really great moments and the kind of their highlight was obviously the tiebreaker against Jen Jones and they played, you know, pretty solid all week, but um, also in kind of in the semifinal, the wheels came off, you know, around N five and, and didn't look, didn't look that sharp either so they were a little bit more up and down. also they they haven't really set their lineup right they brought in they brought in Rochelle to be kind of a replacement sub. Um, we haven't really seen them go with a full full season with this team, right
1: uh no, you saw it last year and they they were yeah. rookie they were uh, it was their first time playing together at the Scotties last year and I thought they were extremely solid last year. Let me say, this is this team is the best story of the tournament, to in in my mind. One, they did have kind of that that breakout win that we were looking for that this team necessarily not, did not necessarily have. They got it against Jennifer Jones, so that that win against a top top tier team that kind of you know, nudged them closer to that top tier. Because before, I would have said that they were like they were the very top of that tier two or tier tier one B type level. They are a little below the teams that you would just be absolutely shocked if they missed the playoff set of Scotties. Right. But they got that breakthrough win this year. And it's, there's a couple of things that, that just make this a great story to me. One is the way that they grinded because it, it the, the week did, not start out great for them. You could tell that they were struggling with the ice. They were struggling with consistency, and they just found a way in a lot of games to get through, especially Kate Cameron. There were a a bunch of times where her first shot would basically be not anywhere close to what she would expect. Uh, the outcome to be for her. And then she would bounce back the very next shot and make something that saved them, that kept them in the end or saved the end from them. So that team just grinding their way through the week, figuring it out and then getting on a roll there at the end to make the playoffs is a great story. And really it's also, it, it goes back to 2019 when this team came together. Um, The the story that Jonathan Brazo had back in 2019 when this key team g- came together it was about how Nadine Scotland, who's the usual lead on this team who wasn't there, she's also expecting. So they brought in Rochelle Brown. Um, she was talking with Laura Walker, and Laura was probably going to take time away from the four-person game to focus on her family. And Nadine Scotland reportedly said, you know, I hate that women have to pick between family and playing curling at a high level. And that kind of resonated with Laura Walker and was was kind of one of the reasons that she decided to go ahead and and skip this team. And I'm glad she did because it's it's something that people can look up to. It's an absolutely outstanding story and I'm glad they broke through this week.
0: Yeah, so I I think they're... Like you're, they're ones to watch. Like they could definitely, I, I wouldn't say be an upset, but like you said, they were kind of not, they're not, they haven't won a Scotties basically, which is probably the differentiator, right? Between say, Anderson, Holman, Jones, and we'll get to carry in a second mm-hmm. and, and them. Right. But they're the, everyone, everyone on that team now has playoff experience at the Scotties. They've certainly slammed a lot. They're, they're kind of regulars on tour. They're kind of high up on the CTRS, um, So they're kind of knocking at the door. They're basically where Einerson was, say twenty twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen. Like kind of starting to make the noise, right? So uh, definitely, I mean, they'll definitely be in the Olympic trials. I think. I mean, I don't think they've qualified yet, but they'll definitely. uh, (laughs) I'd be surprised they didn't make that, and they'll definitely be a Mm -hmm. a dangerous team there. And could certainly, you know, we've certainly seen teams in that zone win at the Canadian Olympic trials before, so. I definitely wouldn't count them out. Um, Fourth team is Jen Jones, who really like <laughs> that final end. I texted you that game was weird because really Jen Jones was pretty much all over them. Maybe not like dominating, but had control, I'd say, the first nine ends. And then everything fell apart for them in the 10th end. So is it just a bad end
1: or how do you read it? I didn't even read that end as it being a bad end for Team Jones. I read it as Team Walker making eight shots perfectly to get the result that they needed and force tough shots out of Jen.
0: Maybe. I thought like Jen Jones is like, if if there's basically two people on the planet, (laughs) it's Holman and Jones. So basically, if they had to make a clutch shot to save a game or win a game, You know, for most of my curling fandom career, be those two. And her Jen's final throw was, I thought, pretty, a pretty uncharacteristic overthrow. Um. (laughs) But uh, so I I guess, but yeah, I guess again, it was kind of pressure, right? But there's a question Mm -hmm. there. So do they? I mean, I guess where are they? Are are they starting to slip? Is it just the field so deep? They had a really good week, and a different week they could have won it do we, do we think they have another Scotties or trials win in them? Or is this kind of the, the beginning of the end kind of question for, for team Jones,
1: man, that is a tough question. Cause I mean, how many times have we said, is this the beginning of the end for team Jones and had it definitely not be the beginning of the end for team Jones? Um, I mean, shoot last year, they were in the page one, two game. So You know, we all we all said that after 2019, after she missed the playoffs and curled, I think for the week she was in the 60s percentage wise in 2019 when they missed the playoffs and she came back the next year and made the page one two game. So, I mean, time is undefeated, but I mean, that team, again, was a team, another team that it was their really their first event together, I think. I think they were scheduled to play in that event that lasted exactly one draw before it got shut down for COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so again, let's, uh, let, let's a, uh let's give them a let's give them a COVID do over. How about that?
0: Yeah, it is tough to read into this season um too much.
1: So the other the other
0: two teams. So one is Tracy Flory wasn't here because she just had a a child and um didn't feel I guess, safe or comfortable or wasn't to feel able to, to travel and uh, quarantine. Um, so I guess I would say that team's also in there with a shot. I definitely would say that team, if you drop them in kind of normal circumstances, they obviously won the Canada Cup in a, in a field that's a kind of equivalent death to the trial. So they're certainly capable of winning it too. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs this week, but of course they had a different person stepping in to skip. And that's the other kind of big X factor is, is like given the the way the rules are written up right now, it's a fairly open run through for a team to get to the Olympic trials in the sense that maybe you have to start further back down, but they're going pretty far down the list. And Chelsea Carey alone has enough points to get a team, get a team qualified for like pre-trial. So there's a big X factor here is what does Chelsea Carey do? I have a really hard time imagining Chelsea Carey not having some kind of team for the Olympic trials. Do you you see her sitting it out? Do you see one of the big teams here basically signing her as a super sub? Do you think there's another team on the board or collection of players out there that might be interested in just throwing something in and seeing what happens? What do you think goes on here?
1: I don't know. And I'd hate to speculate on something like that. Like, why not? If you're her, why not stick with this team? This is probably your sticking with this team is probably your best chance to win the trials, even if it is as a fifth and get to the Olympics. Um, So that, I mean, that's probably what I would do. But if someone calls her up and says, Hey, we want you to skip our team. I mean, that's tough to say no to.
0: I also, I'll just say this is it's again, it's a bit speculation, but I suspect we're going to get another pretty significant shuffling of team lineups, probably not the top four that made the playoffs, but um, you know, maybe the next, like from kind of team number five on through 15, I think we might see that that tier of Canadian teams um, making some pretty big lineup shuffles, given the way the playdowns are going to work or the, the trial playoffs are going to work in the autumn. My, I, I, there's a bunch of teams that are safe from like, Seven on CTRS down to twenty. That I think might jump at the chance to have a two-time Scotty skip <laughs> take over their team. Well, I guess we'll see, right? Because there's also a question of does Rochelle Brown stay with Walker, and what happens to Dana Ferguson?
1: I don't think um, so. I think, I mean, she's got a pretty. Uh, it, it seems like they've got a pretty good gig with Team Rock.
0: Yeah, and so is Rock. Is Rock going to kind of roll with their lineup? Right. It's. There's a I lot. I see what of, you did uh, there. <laughs> like the, I I just I don't know what's going to happen because we obviously don't have any access to any of the the gossip so this is all like just speculation but I'm I'm suspecting there'll be a few shakeups uh you know people have been in lockdown maybe they've had a lot of time to scheme up and dream up new team lineups you know
1: who would you put together who all right here's I'll put it I'll put it to you of outside of those five teams we talked about who would you put together to make a run at the trials what would what would be your team of four
0: what would be my team of four yeah to make a run at the trials
1: and you cannot take you no know, you can take no players from those top five teams that we just talked about i'll give you chelsea Carey a skip and then you can draft an all-star team out of the rest of Canada, excluding those top five teams we talked about. Who would you put together?
0: All right, so there's a two little wrinkles here. So number one is there's no residency requirement or rules for the play-down teams, which kind of flips things on their head, whereas there are for Scotty's teams. If I actually think the best vice Chelsea Carey ever had was Cathy O. So if you can talk Cathy O out of retirement okay. or Heather Nedowin. Which is, there's precedent for that too, right? Like Dave Medowin basically hadn't played in about six years and he basically hopped on Kevin Martin's team and went all the way to the, the trial semis and won a slam that year. So, you know, I think Cathy is fully capable of showing up and playing. So if it's, if it's basically anyone, I'd probably get Chelsea Carey, an experienced back-end player like Cathy o, who's been, you know, kind of in it, kind of out of it. And then I would go young. I'd probably look for... I I would call around for people that are part of the what I would call the uh Mary Fay um curling tree. (laughs) Basically, out of that, Mary Fay, there's um Carly Burgess is part of that. Uh, what's the name of the the other Jones? Is it Caitlin Jones? Jones? What's the name of the yeah, Caitlin Jones, like someone like that, just basically go and do essentially what. The, the winning form is what Einerson did, right? She went and grabbed an experienced back end player, experienced skip, and then grab a couple of people just out of juniors and say, hey, look, do you want to just put together a four month run and see what happens?
1: I kind of hope it happens now. It'd be a heck of an experiment.
0: I, I don't know. It, it, to be clear, right? We we're not saying this is the team that should happen or will happen, but I just, just I think the combination of lockdown and teams having their kind of their whole season's thrown in disarray. The fact that there are people like Chelsea Carey out there who, you know, don't really have clearly defined teams at the moment. And then the fact that the, the playdown structure is such that you're not limited by what CTRS you earned this season, because there is no CTRS this season, I think creates a path for kind of a thrown together super team. And there's a lot of precedent curling for like recently retired players stepping back. Like, you know, in the briar, we're going to have Johnny Moe come back right after... After four years, right? Do you think Kevin Cooey's worried about Johnny (laughs) Moe not playing well? Of course not, right? So, you know, four months, four months, time to kind of loosen up and start throwing again. I think that you can get, you can put together a pretty good veteran team. Or I think a veteran plus junior team is a good combo here.
1: All right. You want to get on to the awards that you came up with that we actually recorded yesterday before all of the all of the tiebreaker and semifinal and final happened.
0: Yeah. So what we did is we recorded commentary yesterday about the round Robin and championship round and what we liked from those teams and those events just to give them a bit of attention. And then, so we'll listen to that part and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So, okay. So here's what we're going to do. This is Sunday afternoon, England time morning north america time so it's before the tiebreakers and playoff games so uh imagine this is like the i kind of think of this as like season awards and we just kind of treat up till now as the scotties regular season so we're going to record this then pre then we'll uh, after the after we know all the playoff results we'll do a, a little bit that'll appear before but we'll just do our little scotties review for the first part of the week now so ryan i created some awards
1: I also like how the Scotty's preview and now this review slash Briar preview, the roles have kind of reversed and you've really taken over as like the host and you're asking me my opinions on things. It's kind of different and uh, it's kind of shaken up the monotony on my end. Do, so do you have opinions on things? I have some opinions. I don't have very strong ones, unlike you. That's a, that's why we usually have it to where I'm like the host and I'm asking for for you to to talk about certain things is I don't have like super strong opinions. Like if like we're reviewing the Scotties here if you, if you had created a award, like biggest disappointment at the Scotties, my answer would have been, well, no one, cause no one played. Like you can't be disappointed with anyone who just showed up cold at the Scotties and had their first game of the season be on national friggin' television. Like there's, you know, you look down the list of teams and you're just like, Going in, it was for, for a significant num- number of the teams, you went in and you said, yeah, they could make the championship pool. They could also only win one game just because no one's played. We have no idea. And in, and I noticed that you did not create this category, which is good, because if you had asked me, hey, which team were you most disappointed in? I would have just been like, eh, nobody. Everyone was great. Yeah. <laughs> they had no expectations. I mean, I was, the curling was, it was great. Heavy. I was so I was so happy to have curling on television that I'm not disappointed in anyone.
0: Yeah, no, I I loved watching it too. It was great. Um, I mean, to be honest, the shot making was a bit lower, um, but that's not a surprise. Like people just didn't seem as sharp, especially the touch stuff. But still, there were a lot of good games, so I wasn't disappointed at all.
1: We talked about this during the preview. I said the only teams that are really going to have consistency are the ones that are really, really good, which was Holman and Ainerson. And through the round robin, those were the two teams that were that were the only ones that were able to find any kind of real consistency. But you had Holman lose to Kerry Galusha and um, Ainerson and drop a couple.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so there wasn't... Nobody ran... There wasn't like a dominant... End to end week long performance. Probably Anderson was the most consistent, followed by Holman, But, um, you know, I wouldn't say that it, there wasn't. It, this wasn't one of those years where a team just rolled through and everyone's like, "Yes, that's the that's the team."
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, most of these games on any given night, you had no idea who was going to win, which was great. Yeah.
0: yeah, there were a lot of good back and forth games, a lot of interesting struggles. So I decided, um. I like awards, even and so I've just created some awards because I think I think the big problem with curling uh, competitions is they just go by the stats and so like your first team all stars are just whoever had the highest shooting percentage and second team is the second highest. That's that's a bit boring. So I've created some arbitrary awards. The first one is rookie of the year. So who who is the rookie of the year, Ryan?
1: If you had asked me that after the first round of pool play, I would have said, well, obviously Laurie St. George from Quebec. But Beth Peterson beat her head-to-head and had a better record at the end of the tournament. So after championship play, I mean, if you look at who had a better week, I mean, Beth Peterson's team really did. Now, the Laurie St. George team... They are definitely the people's champ. Like they are, I love watching that team. I love everything about that team. I want to see them at the Scotties for the next fifteen years. They are so fun, um, and they. I, I hope that nothing changes about them. I hope they stay exact. I hope that. Well, I take that back. I hope they. I hope they figure out strategy a little bit more in in game situations so that we can see them in playoffs, but, uh, they're, they're the people's champ, but, but rookie of the year, um, I think it's, I think it's Beth Peterson's team. When we came into this tournament, I said, I was really interested in seeing this team because you've seen just line scores from them the last couple of years, and they've been really solid on tour. And I was interested to see what would happen. In a event like this, and I thought that they were a level above just solid. I thought they were good. Um, and the thing, one of the things about this tournament that impressed me most was Beth Peterson's draw ability. It seems like every time that they were in a pickle, she could make something to at least get them one and keep disaster from happening. And that really impressed me. And you look at futures of teams because you've seen the, you've seen consolidation kind of work its way into the women's game and all of the top teams are this consolidation of talent where you have, you probably have a few people who should be skipping their own team, not skipping teams for uh, the opportunity to go to the Olympics. I mean, shoot, Anderson team, you have four skips together. So will you see Beth Peterson join another team just because of her shot making ability? I mean, that's not beyond the realm of possibility, but I hope this team stays together because they, they impressed me just as much as the Laurie St. George team impressed me. And based off of head to head and better record, I give my rookie of the year award to Beth Peterson.
0: All right. So let's, I think there's two other sets of contenders. So one, I think coming in, I probably, and I actually did in our club pool, pick Mackenzie Zacharias to actually have a run. I didn't put her as the winner, but I picked her as one of the teams for the points. Um, And they, they, they were very up and down. Like they, they had some spectacular highlight reel shots, but they also just, it, I think basically their biggest problem watching them play against these teams is they play too defensive. Like they, you could tell they developed a style that they would just overpower on shot making junior teams. But when it took the step up, the the run it up and down the sheets is not going to work against the Jen Jones of the world's right. So um, I think, and they're also a bit younger. So I think probably they I put them third on my ballot I guess. So I I, I mean the case for Laurie Saint George is the the hype right the hype and the taking the teams deep right like basically against yeah. Holman taking Holman to an extra end. Um, had a really good battle yesterday afternoon with Einerson. It kind of fell apart late, but like they were kind of right in it until that point. Um, you know, basically not getting intimidated against the big, the big yeah. teams.
1: And the, um, the thing that impressed me the most about that, and I talked about this on Twitter, how often do you see junior teams just hit, hit, hit and their, their default is hitting every time that I saw uh, St. George, have to choose between a hit and a draw she chose the draw and almost every single time she made it.
0: Yeah. And I think I think you so yeah they're they're comfortable with rocks in play. As is the Peterson team. Like I I think probably the Peterson team's pro, out of this group is the next one we'll see as slam regulars. Um I guess I guess the, for the for the saint George team the, the question's really are they going to go on tour and start to kind of points chase so they can kind of get into that slam, slam territory? I mean, I know they've been playing on tour and they got into the tier two last year, Mm -hmm. but um, it's basically, I kind of see two paths for them from here. And so like one future is Suzanne Burt and the other future is Brad Gushu. That's kind of like the two ends, right? So Suzanne Burt kind of came out of juniors, very strong team in a non-traditional curling province, first year out, made a playoff run, and since then, it's basically become a regular fixture at the Scotties, but just hasn't become a slam team, and they don't really play on tour or travel, right? So, you know, assuming that I, – I don't know Quebec's depth on the women's side uh, this, these days at all, but even back when I was there 20 years ago, it wasn't super deep. So and I think this team's probably the favorite going forward in Quebec yeah. for the foreseeable future to get out of the province. So there's a possibility they could just become the regular Quebec team, and kind of be a fan favorite, uh, but not compete. But they're also at an age where this probably opens opportunities like getting on the Curling Canada next-gen program, getting access to kind of more training, getting invites to higher-level bond spiels. And if they parlay that, um, I don't see any reason why they couldn't then become... like Using using access to the Scotties as a way to build up your profile so you can then become essentially a full-time team. And that's, that's a question that we can't really answer because that depends on the lives and circumstances of that team also, but that's kind of the big question on that front. I'd say. So next category. All right. I have three categories of shots. So best draw, best takeout and shot of the week. And the reason I want to do best draw is because if you go and look at the top shots that curling Canada's is pumping out, it's all takeouts. Yeah. It's all takeouts. Right. <laughs> and you just said it. It's like, Lottie St. George didn't turn down a draw when she had the option. And being able to place your stone in a certain spot is just so deadly. So did any draws jump out this week for you?
1: No, and I think that's the problem with draws is you tend to remember just tendencies rather than one spec, like one, you know, they're not really spectacular unless they're to win a Scotties or win a Briar, right? Uh, we remember Brad Gushu with his draw to win in St. John's in, on home turf. And we remember uh, like the Pat Simmons draw where he had to catch a piece of the button in order to win. We remember those kind of things. You don't really remember one like just during the week. So the one, and this is recency bias because it was last night, Um Caitlin Laws's freeze where she had to draw to the button and freeze to her own stone. And it just created a heap of trouble for Anderson last night. Um, that led that led to team Jones beating Anderson to, to get into a playoff on, on Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good nominee. I have a, I have like for the precision, there's a Jen Jones draw versus Saskatchewan that goes to the port. And I've kind of tagged the YouTube for you where that basically she had to basically draw through a very thin port right to the button so it was both both perfect weight and um and kind of like a little nudge a little nudge too to set up a deuce perfect weight and perfect line like super precise so both parts of it um it's it's kind of funny right that you watch over and over again and Cheryl and Russ all the time are like the hardest shot in curling is the freeze, which is a touch shot. And then like none of the highlights are freezes. (laughs) I actually think, you know, maybe just a nudge out there for the curling influencers, more highlights of tough draws or, or spectacular freezes just in a little video packages might be nice. Uh, maybe considering them a bit more.
1: Takeouts or dunks.
0: Takeouts or dunks, exactly. Takeouts or dunks. So, speaking of dunks, what was the best takeout this week?
1: I don't remember one. I don't remember You're- one. <laughs> no. I don't remember right. one in particular that I was just like, "Oh yeah, that's the well, I remember the shot of the week, which we're going to talk about here in a second, and that probably would have been my pick. Although although it wasn't it wasn't really a takeout. It was it was a raise, but there was oh, there was a double, and I cannot remember it now. I remember there was a really good double that I was like that was a really good double, and I just I can't remember it now.
0: All right, I'll give you three there's one I liked early in the
1: week. Quebec's second had a hit and roll where she rolled six feet there was a there was a stone on edge twelve. And she hit it and rolled six feet, top button, buried. And I was just like, yeah, I cannot do that. <laughs> yeah, I, again, this is, this is another funny
0: thing about curling. And we were talking about this in the the Colleen Jones episode, right? Like The Colleen Jones hit roll freeze. I'm like, often moving granite gets a lot of credit. But that's just, you know, if the stones are stacked up in the right way and you throw it hard, sometimes you're not going to miss much, right? You're going to get them all to go. Hitting and rolling to a spot—that—that to, that to me is like more skill, right? Then sometimes like a, there's a gimme double that looks spectacular, but if you can hit and roll exactly to the perfect spot behind a guard, especially if it's like like a long roll, that's hmm. that's impressive.
1: There was another one. I think it was I think it was Nancy Martin from Saskatchewan, yeah. and it was early in the week where she had to play a downweight hit-and-roll where she had to curl around a guard, take it out, and then rolled about three feet under a, under another guard. So she came basically through a port, curled around, made her take out, and then rolled about three feet under cover. Like, the, the downweight hit and roll behind a guard and then rolling behind cover like that is. I, I, I said this on Twitter. It's, it's the, it's the shot that they make look so easy that I am just astounded by every time. Cause I have made that shot once. And like I said, on Twitter, after I made it, I wanted to ride my broom around the rink, like a horse. I was that excited.
0: <laughs> and they just, they just
1: give the little, the little hand wave like, yeah, we're good. And the other thing is like seconds, Seconds never make the highlight reel because there's not so many rocks in play at that point that they can do something truly spectacular usually, and their shots are important, but there are so many other shots afterward that affect what the what the outcome of the end is. So shout out to the seconds. I think, uh, shout out to the seconds and thirds. I think that's who I just uh, I just gave my best takeouts to, so I'd... Shout out to you all.
0: I'll give you three nominees and we can dig up the videos to share. So Corin Brown had a really nice triple early in the week. Um, I Mackenzie Zacharias had a nice double to score four. It was kind of through the port double. That was a nice one. And then the third one actually didn't, it didn't make much hype, but to me it was like a, it was a tricky slash double that Laura Walker made to, to win the game. And if she stuffs it or only gets one of them to go, this is against Mackenzie Zacharias. If then Mackenzie Zacharias is an easy draw or hit to force an extra. So it was basically a game winning double and and a nice kind of a nice slash.
1: That was the double that I couldn't remember.
0: Yeah. And it was, it was a steep angle slash, like not an easy double. So I, I thought that was pretty like a game winning double. I think still pretty good. All right. So shot
1: of the week. What do you got? uh Homan's raise to get to the extra against Quebec.
0: Yeah, the triple raise, whatever the hell it was. the The funniest part about that, I want to say, is like well, how is mad she was. <laughs> the funniest part was how mad she was. Yours is how mad she is. Mine is like Vic's. Like, oh, it, it's like the lack. It's one of those moments with the lack of the crowd. If you go back and watch the highlight, it's like Vic thinks she's missed it. Right? <laughs> she's uh-huh. like, here we go. Oh, 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 for two. <laughs> like compared to his call when she made that double to force the extra in the whatever it was, the twenty eighteen yeah. Briar, so twenty eighteen scotties is is basically a similar shot and a harder <laughs> shot. And his reaction is like so anticlimactic. And then Holman's look is like whatever.
1: Holman didn't Holman did not give the Brad Jacobs come on. I think Holman was mad that she didn't stick it for three in the win.
0: I I think she honestly does, when she's in the hack, think she's going to make everything, right? I think she does have that attitude, which is why I love watching her. But um, (laughs) so, like, it's basically her and Cooey are the two who, like, if if there's a shot there to win a game, you're pretty sure they're going to make it,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? And so I think she just expected to make it. All right, so I agree, shot of the week. So let's go on to... I've got a, a category here called best team to not advance out of pool play. Okay. Who do you have?
1: I, I think it's Carrie Galusha. The only, the only other team that I would think of would be Corinne Brown. And again, it was a consistency thing. Like there was the, the, the reason that I, I mean, I give it to Galusha more for consistency. Corinne Brown had a game where they were facing elimination and I thought she curled a hundred percent. I think they showed the stat and she was curling like 98%. And I was like, what miss did you see? But she, and she, it wasn't like she was just facing easy shots the whole game either. Like she, she had a lot of tough shots to make and she was outstanding and basically willed that team to win. Um, but for, for consistency, Carrie uh, Galusha.
0: All right. I agree. I think uh, this is a couple of reasons why. First, I, their win over Holman was what i'd call a statement win it was well played from start to finish Carrie galusha just came out and made shots like she was not going to miss a shot that game and it basically was a must win game and a game against you know one of the top two or three teams on the planet it's it's tough to do and she did it what sunk them was basically from not making the playoffs was their first game so they're just getting their their legs against northern ontario they lost 8-7 and their last game against Beth Peterson, which mm-hmm. was an eight nine loss, right? So two two one point losses, one against the team that didn't make the playoffs, the other against the team that that did. Um, but also, I'd say quality wins, like decisive wins against Nova Scotia, against Zacharias, against UConn. So their final record ended up being four and four, but two one two one point losses meant they could have just as easily gone six and two. Right, yeah. They they could have been. There's a different world in which, if those two games go their way, they're basically the the Quebec, like they're the darlings of the of the you know championship round. Like, oh look, Northwest Territories has made the championship pool, right?
1: Yeah, that's what we were. I mean, we were all rooting for that as much as I do like the Peterson team. I was rooting for Galusha in that game. You wanted to see her make the championship pool and move on. Uh, the other thing is they talked about on on TV is that she did tweak a, in a similar injury that she had had last season. So I wonder how that played into things at the end at the end of the tournament.
0: Yeah, you never you never know, right? You don't know if there's an like injury concerns, and just also, I mean. It what like the sharpness wasn't there for like the on another year this Scottie is probably pretty different just given that all the teams have more ice time and it, it come out a bit sharper right so uh, okay game of the week who do you have what was your favorite game and keeping in mind this is pre playoff round so championship pool and and seeding pools
1: oh man Quebec Saskatchewan and. So the reason it was my favorite was you had it was when Quebec was really starting to catch people's attention. And obviously they caught enough attention that they were given a TV game. And then you had the Wiley Vets in and Anderson and Martin just kind of give them give them a little lesson in uh, in strategy there. And they, they went out, they cracked a three, the very first end uh, and went on to win uh, Quebec to their credit. Clawed back. They they actually came back and took the lead, four to three. They stole a couple points there, and then they went back and forth. Saskatchewan got their deuce. Quebec got their deuce. uh, Quebec then forced them in eight. So it looked like it it was a little bit anticlimactic. Um, It really looked like it was going to be a back and forth game the whole way through. And then in nine, a little bit of little little bit of a lesson in strategy from Sherry Anderson, and they stole three, and that was the game. But styles make fights and that's kind of what you had in that game.
0: Yeah. So I have two nominees. So I think my runner up or honorable mention is uh, team carry Chelsea, carry or flurry or whatever they're calling themselves Wildcard eight, whatever they were um, <laughs> <laughs> versus Homan. So, so the, that, game, it came right down to the last shot. Um, like Chelsea, carry, Team basically led most of the game and Holman clawed back in eight, nine, and ten. And basically, the reason I don't think it's a classic is because it's basically on two Chelsea Carey misses. First one, she gets deep on her draw. Holman wraps around, freezes on it. And honestly, the Chelsea Carey then throws a runner and almost spills the stone. Like, I I always thought she'd made it, but just doesn't, just stuffs it. Right. And, and, um, Holman escape. So it's, it's a good game, but it just doesn't quite have the spectacular shot making. So I might, my, I call it the runner up. I, I think I give it to Ontario versus Quebec with the Holman shot that forces the extra. It's kind of a little bit more quality, goes to an extra. Uh, it's kind of like this, it's probably Quebec's signature game, even though they didn't win it. It's kind of like, oh, they're, they're hanging in there with Holman. And it's a good kind of Rachel Holman, you know, big shot to put it away.
1: Yeah, we only got to see two into that game too.
0: Yeah, but still it's got to be like you get the end of it and it's a good good game, sure. I think.
1: Also the 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 Peterson Galusha game where it was the last draw for their pool winner goes to the championship pool and then Peterson making the big comeback at the end. That was that was a good game and again that was a game where you had you had teams converting with hammer all the way through until the very end and it was I mean it was heartbreaking seeing Northwest Territories get knocked out there at the end but man what a game.
0: Yeah, so I think those are all all really great games. All right. Uh next category. Most interesting strategic decision.
1: There were some I think it was more there were some head scratchers.
0: All right. <laughs> For me, I think I meant this in the positive way, <laughs> Ryan, as in like what was the best call? so and and so you don't remember the good ones (laughs) oh i'll I'll give you an example of a good one so for me an interesting test is if i don't see the shot that's called i try to write it down because i'm like there's something i've missed
1: well it's it's easier it's easier for me because there's a lot of times where i don't see the shot (laughs) that's called you coach this game it's much harder for them (laughs) to trick you This is this is why I ask your opinion on things. This yeah. is why we usually have the roles reversed here, man. <laughs> I might so I might actually try to lay
0: this out later on, like maybe this summer or something as like a blog post because this end is fascinating. If you want to learn curling strategy, I would say just go back and study the seventh end, Manitoba PEI, uh, and basically it's, this is what I call a stack, which is like a very common pattern you see in curling, right? That you get a center guard up, then one team wraps around, another team freezes on it. In this case, there were five stones stacked on each other. PEI is locked, biting the button, frozen on a Manitoba stone that's biting the button a little less, and then stuck behind two Manitoba stones that are staggered in a way that don't run back. So they're basically locked in there, but it's one lonely PEI stone surrounded by four Manitoba stones. Jones plays the end up until this point, trying for runbacks and doesn't quite get the angle kind of gets a hit and roll and clears the guard off three times. PEI replaces it comes down to Caton's last and they call it. They, they come down. They have a long discussion. They opt for a timeout. This is, and this is like where I was like, I didn't see what anyone was talking about. And I think Caitlin was really the only one who saw the shot. And, Victor, Victor shell comes out and he basically says you should open it up and play a run back. That's what JJ wants to play. Caitlin's like, the problem with that is if I do it and make it, you're still not going to have a great shot. Like I can unlock the back one, but they're still going to be shot. And there's going to be a bunch of their stuff lying around. Caitlin talks them into letting her play a shot where she just squeezes by the guard playing backline weight and splits. And she actually splits off one of their stones, and one of the PEI stones. And if you look at it, it looks like she's done nothing. But, um, you know, Jen Jones like, that's a really great shot, Caitlin. What it does is it basically gives Jen Jones two paths in on her last one to pop the PEI stone out. And basically through an exchange of stones, Jen Jones ends up playing a double on her last to score her two. And it's one of those things that if you're not watching closely, it it looks like it's, it's, okay, if you're not watching closely, Caitlin does not leave Manitoba shot rock and PEI stone is still locked in there. But what Caitlin does is give Jen Jones two options. And if you have two options to make a shot, PEI can't guard both. So they basically flip the strategy on PEI and say, pick your poison and that lets them get out of a pretty sticky situation. That gives them their deuce late in the game, and that ends up helping them win the game. If PEI steals, Manitoba's then chasing with two end, with uh, kind of three ends to play, right? So it was, I thought it was a really interesting one. I've got the, the link here so you can tweet that out with our episode, and I'll try to write it out later on. But I thought that you could just study that end if you wanted to learn curl end strategy, I'd say.
1: Look for it in the show notes.
0: All right. So best hot mic moment.
1: Uh, Laura Walker having to pee.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I think there was a few times where I heard similar things like that. I'm sure it's said every year at every Scotties and Briar, but the fact there's no audience. And so you can hear basically everything. It's just, you know, you need to go pee.
1: And and, uh, the Team Gushu account played that up as well <laughs> and then it's where it, and it wasn't just it was basically a, a series where you know she says that she has to go and she and vic kind of <laughs> vic kind of plays with it because it was live and then she gets back and goes i'm back <laughs> i thought that was the best that was even better than just the initial having to go <laughs> i think also
0: like my my i have a strong belief as a skip you got to go to the bathroom if you're playing an 8-in game of the 6-end or 8-ends in 10, because you want that bladder empty. You don't want to have to throw your pressure draw with a full bladder. So I fully endorse taking a late-game pee break if you're the skip.
1: That's Jonathan's coaching tip of the week, sponsored by <laughs> To Be Determined. <laughs> <laughs> Time your pee breaks well, people. Just, just just think potential sponsors out there. You could, You could have sponsored what Jonathan just said given us money, us money for, for Jonathan to say that. <laughs> oh, you mean the company? You mean the company depends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us and we will talk to you again real soon.